Now, I was incredibly proud to work for a company that investment has got increasingly difficult over the course of the last year. And so to raise a Series C when we did to that level was really testament to proximity and testament to really the validation that people see as the opportunity within the product. So overwhelmingly, there was like a sense of, well, we've really got something here. This is amazing. We're a female-led company, which was also lovely to be part of. But now, you know, of course, this is like the scary part, really. It's the Series C means that you need to start scaling quickly. You need to be successful as quickly as possible, make it work and sort of show the returns. So that is in the back of your mind always. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. I'm Matt Dodgson, co-founder of Market Recruitment, and we connect B2B tech and SaaS businesses with marketers to help them grow. This week, we're joined by Victoria Hatcher. Victoria's Global Head of Marketing at Proximy, a technology platform that allows clinicians to virtually scrub into any operating room. So some pretty amazing tech. And not only that, but Proximy has raised an $80 million Series C, only six years after they were formed. And this is what we're going to dig into today. I hope you enjoy. So welcome to the Market Mentors podcast, Victoria. Hello, nice to be here. Absolute pleasure. So before we get stuck into this one, I'd love to know what your relationship is with B2B tech marketing. Well, I've always worked in healthcare marketing. So some of that has been B2B, other parts of that have been B2C. My role before this was a director of marketing and comms at Test and Trace for my sins. But tech was a whole new world to me. So the learning curve has been all in that tech space, knowing how to do marketing, B2B, B2C. Once you know it, I think you sort of know it and can apply it to various different industries, etc. But the tech part has been a learning curve for sure. Oh, I can imagine. You don't see many marketeers actually making the switch these days, especially at a sort of senior level like yourself. So it's good to see, really. Like I say, it was like the thing that I hadn't done. It was... Mm something new to grasp and I'm very much of the sort of mindset of as you grow and continue through your career if you can't sort of continue to learn then that can feel a bit stifling so this has been excellent for me. I'm a year and a half into the tech world now and I think I've pretty much grasped it but of course the tech bit wasn't just the new bit for me it was the investor funding part as well the investor relations so again that's been fantastic to sort of learn and be a part of. Awesome. And we're obviously here to talk about the startup to scale up journey. And last year, Proximy raised its Series C, wasn't it? 80 million. It was. Which took, I think, the total raise to about 135 million. So very, very impressive. But for those who haven't heard of the company, what does Proximy do? We are a health tech company. We're a platform that essentially enables surgeons, medical device companies and hospitals to capture data from an operating room. So traditionally, operating rooms have been very analogue. So what happens in that operating room stays in that operating room. And we're trying to really shift that paradigm so that Proxmi is used as the eyes and ears into the operating room for really three main functions. The first is around telepresence, so being able to share and learn from other experts. The second is content management, so we have a whole suite of content management features. We have a library where people can review procedures and look at their own or share others. And then the third one is really around that data and insights that you can get from, you know, opening up the operating room and being able to get the intelligence you need to make changes to improve productivity, improve patient outcomes, scale adoption of medical device companies, products. So that's sort of us in a nutshell, if you will. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does indeed. It does indeed. And I guess it's quite a traditional market, isn't it, really? It's a market that's sort of not really used technology in that kind of way. 
So it must be quite an interesting journey from a marketeer's point of view. Yeah, I mean, like I say, I've always worked in healthcare marketing, and this mm. is definitely one of the more challenging roles in terms of trying to encourage adoption of innovation within health systems. And mm. what's interesting is it's a global organisation, but the challenges within healthcare remain pretty consistent across the board. And so what Proximy can help solve is relevant globally, but the challenges are in terms of people really making that leap into using digital technology to help enhance their operations, their workflow, etc. There's still barriers to that. Mm. And I guess you get a lot of people in that sort of market who are quite resistant to that change, but I guess some people are kind of pushing forward with it really. Workforce is the number one issue of healthcare globally. And so it's not surprising that resistance to change is hard because no one's Mm. got capacity to think outside of their immediate in healthcare across the world, really. Mm. So going back to this investment, this exciting investment, most founders and most marketing leaders would be kind of over the moon at sort of raising this sort of money. But for you as a marketing leader, then what sort of thoughts were going through your head at that point when you were sort of raising this money? Yeah, I mean, I was incredibly proud to work for a company that investment has got increasingly difficult over the course of the last year. And so to raise a Series C when we did to that level was really testament to Proxmi and testament to really the validation that people see as the opportunity within the product. So overwhelmingly, there was like a sense of, well, we've really got something here. This is amazing. Mm. We're a female-led company, which was also lovely to be part of. But now, you know, of course, this is like the scary part, really. It's the Series C means that you need to start scaling quickly. You need to be successful as quickly as possible, make it work and sort of show the returns. So that is in the back of your mind always. But I think with the team that we've got, we're making the long term plans that we can deliver against now. Mm. Yeah, I guess you can't rest on your laurels for too long, can you? No, unfortunately not. No, indeed. So going back to before the sort of raise then, and obviously you've been there for not too long, about 18 months you mentioned earlier, but going back to when the company was sort of in that startup phase then, what were some of the sort of fundamentals that Proximy got in place then to make sure that actually you were able to scale them? Yeah, there's a super simple answer to this question and it's going to sound a bit cheesy but it really isn't because I've seen it in other organizations but I've Mm. certainly seen it in Proxmi and that is knowing your mission and being true to it and sticking to it and one of the things that was so true and is still incredibly true and powerful within Proxmi is that even though it was a startup, there wasn't a HR department, there wasn't values-based recruitment, but without knowing that anyone was really doing it, they were absolutely doing it. And so mm. you join Proxmi and behind Nadine, our founder, there's this incredible like line of one. We are there to provide access to safe surgery around the world. And that's why she started Proxmi. She essentially wanted to increase her ability as a surgeon herself to provide expert care to more than one person at any one time. And so having that really mission-led at the centre of everything that we do is I think what's kept us and it is what powers us forward now. I mean, every one of our town hall meetings, we still always have a mission and vision story. Someone comes on and goes, this is why I'm here. And here's an example of how it's turned, how it's come to play. My first week that I was there, Proxima used in Kenya and we had our first C-section delivery of a baby that wouldn't have been possible without the power of Proxima being in the room, being able to train people and being able to talk people through that procedure. And so those things are hard to replicate in other businesses, but they're really, really powerful. 
I think from like a marketing perspective, they did a number of really key things, early doors, understand tone of voice, very much linked to sort of mission brand values, but understanding that tone of voice and found it early on and we've stuck to it. And then we use PR as like a really key lever for us. You know, we had some pretty heavy hitting PR, CNN, Boston Globe, you know, the Times have been in most of the broadsheets in the UK. So I think early doors, we got in with getting our name out there on a large scale and using some of the case studies to do that. Superb. And do you think that's marketing's responsibility to sort of help with that mission statement at the start? Or do you think that should be founder-led? I guess it varies from company to company. But I'm thinking that if people are listening to this podcast, they're in a business where maybe that isn't sharp enough, should they take responsibility for it as a marketeer? I think you've got to. Like, I always sort of joke that everything that marketing does has to really line up to that strategic intent. And ultimately, a strategic intent will come from that mission and the objectives from that mission and 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 Mm -hmm. so if what you're doing in marketing which is responsible for how you're portrayed internally externally to investors to the rest of the world isn't fundamentally lined up and is clear on that mission then i think that's going to be a really difficult job for anybody so yeah i'd always encourage anyone to get that sorted and like i say i know that's difficult in some senses i'm lucky to work in health and i'm lucky to work in an organization that clearly has some quite emotive examples of its mission mm-hmm. but yeah it's fundamental i think yeah i think you hear stories of startups sort of pivoting left and right over the years trying to find their market and stuff like that so it makes it quite difficult but it sounds like you guys had a real clear mission from the start which is awesome from a marketing team point of view then what was the sort of setup in the early days then so marketing team they relied on an agency that's still with us to this day so i think Mm. that was a great shout and then there was just two or three people until just after our series b raise Mm. which was the beginning of 2020 and then within sort of six months of that as we geared up into series c we brought in a broad range of marketers at that point sort of six seven people and have remained around that size since then Mm, great stuff we were just talking about pivots then but have you had to pivot or have you had any sort of challenges from a marketing point of view in terms of markets or messaging or positioning or that sort of stuff within this sort of growth phase that you've had to overcome Honestly, I think we've tried to do too much, maybe. I think it's sort of the nature of the type of individuals that are attracted to startup scale-ups, you know, with solutionizers. It's not a word, but, that you know, we are solutions-focused people and, you know, you've got to believe in a startup to sort of really go there. And so you get sucked into maybe trying to do too much. So that's something we've had to work on over the course of sort of the last six to eight months, for sure. In terms of sort of the messaging and things, I wouldn't say I regret anything that we've done. I think that we probably could have been more product focused. Like I say, we've got this incredible leader with this incredible mission. Mm. And that was really integral to building our brand early doors. I think we could have bought the product messaging in sooner than we did. I don't think it's made a huge difference. But if I had my time again, it's what I would do. Mm. And why do you think that would make a difference? Uh, Just in terms of like knowing what you're getting, what are you buying? What is it? Mm. And genuinely, you know, we're a first market. And now that we do have some competitors because of our team and the first market position, we do have an exemplary product. But I think we didn't talk about the features within the product as soon as we could have. Because they sound pretty cool features by the sounds of it. Yeah. People see it and they go, oh, we're talking about bringing data into an operating room, making the analog digital. Mm. It's relatively theoretical until you sort of see it in action. Mm. And so, yeah, just getting that out there sooner, I think, would have been beneficial. 
And that's where the gold is. I mean, we were talking to a company yesterday that was talking about that. They were saying that in terms of their product marketing, they're quite good at talking about, okay, well, this is what it does, but actually not how their customers are actually using that and how it's benefiting their customers. So, you know, that's kind of where the gold is really, isn't it, from a marketing point of view, because the audience is going to be looking at it and going, wow, they can actually visualize how it's actually going to benefit them day to day. And our audience are surgeons. So, you know, you try and get user research with surgeons. That is a tall Hmm. ass. You know, we manage it because we're in number of operating rooms we're now in. It's like we can go in and try things with people and test things. But, you know, in the way that you would normally do user research, it's not really a possibility when, you know, you've got surgeons who you're dealing with as a primary customer. Yeah, a big challenge compared to a lot of our customers who could probably, you know, jump on a phone call with a salesperson yeah. and get to the customer pretty quickly, really. Yeah. So pretty challenging. You touched on the sort of priorities then. You know, as this sort of investment comes then, you know, the expectations rise as well. And it's a case of sort of we've raised this money, now we can do X, Y, and Z. And there obviously can't be a shortage of ideas of what to do with this kind of money once you've raised it. But how do you go about sort of prioritizing what to do? Yeah, that's a really difficult question. Like I just said, sort of, I think we made the error of probably trying to do too much. There were things that we just had to do, you know, there were things that following the raise like we knew we had to tighten up smarten up sort of get into a few things the product roadmap and really accelerating product development absolutely critical and the team have done an incredible job this year the sales enablement like being closer to the commercial team and building joint sales and marketing plans has been critical over the last six months for sure and then our brand got us to an amazing place but we've had to update it and refresh it so we're relaunching the brand early next year hopefully in january and then like ultimately we had to start operationalizing you know getting that marketing stack in order you know we were sort of glued together by bits and pieces everywhere (laughs) so bringing you know i hate to say it but salesforce into the mix Mm. and like really being smarter about the way that we operationalize what we're doing and then the process behind it was critical. But Porter said, didn't he, strategy is deciding what not to do. And that is so true. And as we've moved into Series C and had to sort of grow up as a business a little bit more, Mm. we've got plans in place now. We're thinking longer term. When you go into Series C, you have a bit more of a buffer in terms of going, right, well, we can start planning beyond six months to 12 months. We can Mm. start planning to three to five years. And in doing that, you sort of then create a contract with the team and senior team and the board that goes, well, this is what we're going to do. And I think that's really helped us in terms of deciding what to do and what not to do because the reason people don't do that is because they don't have a plan and as soon as you don't have a plan that's linked to business objectives that you can refer to on a monthly basis that are linked to kpis that show return Mm. until you Mm. have any of that you're anyone's to play with and you'll be chasing your tail forever Plus, it gives you a bit more runway, I guess, doesn't it? Whereas most companies are sort of thinking quarter by quarter. Yeah. Let's get to the end of the quarter and achieve the objectives because we need the pipeline, we need the revenue. It just gives you a little bit more runway to kind of step back and think about that. Yeah. I don't know if I feel like I've got runway, but yeah, we have <laughs> built the plans. But I think, you know, I've worked in mm. £30 billion FMCGs and I've worked in mm. scale-ups and you walk into those big companies and you think, well, they'll have it sorted. You know, we'll be annual planning by August. 
It never happens. Mm. There's meetings that talk about annual planning in August, but you're still in December going, have we finished the plan? Have we finished the plan? <laughs> so I haven't seen it perfectly done anywhere yet, I have to say. You know, approximately we're now in a strong place for our plans for certainly the next year. Good stuff, yeah. And how involved were you in the sort of Series C itself then? Yeah, so quite involved. So in terms of sort of helping with the development and pitches and mm. certainly once the investors were on board the comms around the Series C and that launching into mm. the market. Mm. Yeah, pretty front and centre of that. Good stuff. And in terms of the team now then, obviously, you know, part of this investment gives you the ability to build that team and structure it for the next growth journey. How is it sort of structured now then? We have representation across the globe now and we didn't previously. So each of the regions has a regional lead, which has made a big difference. And then some of the more sort of central functions sit as part of the global team. So we've grown slightly not hugely as part of the marketing team I think where we've Mm. done is start to understand where the gaps are and where it's worth getting external help in a little bit more so either that being through agencies or being through contractors Mm. for example events have stepped up this quarter because the world has opened back up but do Mm. we need a full-time events person probably not but actually having a contractor that can help us and who is a specialist in that space is the right thing to do Mm. so we have grown we've got more of a global footprint but we're also being smarter in terms of what makes more sense to have externally makes sense and have you hired in any specialists then you talked a little bit about automation a marketing automation person or a product marketing is quite a big thing at the moment in terms of linking the sort of customers to the product roadmap and being that sort of glue between the sort of development of the product and the sales and marketing teams any sort of specialists like that yeah no exactly that so product marketing as i said was sort of the thing that i wish we'd started sooner in a traditional sense We now have product marketing within the organisation, which is fantastic and already making a big difference and only a few months in. We have an operations team now, and we didn't before, around actually being able to be responsible for Salesforce at an organisation level, but then also having someone within the team who looks after the sort of product marketing integration element, as well as sort of managing more of our web-based platforms. So they're probably the main two from a specialist perspective the others Mm. we've got content and editorial lead now so as we grew we needed to try and get more of that content sort of in-house before Mm. being able to use it externally on our social channels etc so she's been a really great hire yeah i think they're the main ones yeah. And how do you sort of think through when you need an extra person? I mean, you talked about the event side there then. Because what a lot of companies do, I guess, is start off, they hire a few generalists and then, you know, their job descriptions get a bit wider to the point where they can't sort of cope with stuff. But how do you sort of work through that in your mind as to, okay, well, now I know we need a digital paid ads person or an events person or a PR person? Yeah, it's a really good question. So I guess I link mine back to our plans. Now we have plans. Mm. The reality is within any marketing team or any team generally, if you say, do you want another head? Well, of course I do. (laughs) Um, So I think trying to be really clear about what we're trying to achieve and then linking that back to individuals within the team is I find the best way to do it for me. If you take the events person, for example, yeah, I think, you know, now I can see looking at the events plan for next year that we're not going to need a full head, but actually would a part-time person be useful? That's an ongoing discussion with the organisation around our head count, etc. But I have a good relationship with all of the team and I try and keep things as open and transparent as possible so that people can come to me if they've got too much on or not enough on, heaven forbid. And so I think that's my best route to understanding if we need more people. 
But ultimately, mm. I think everything comes back to that plan. If you know what your plan is, you know what you need to achieve, and if you can achieve it within that headcount without having to hire more people or needing to hire more people to meet your planning needs, then that's what we would do. I mean, a lot of companies are talking about efficiency rather than sort of growth at all costs at the moment, aren't they, with everything that's going on? So final two questions. I'd love to know just from your perspective, and we speak to a lot of companies that say, okay, we want somebody from the B2B tech market because they understand what it's like to market solutions and complex stuff and they understand pipeline and all this kind of stuff. Obviously, you've come from a different sector. Do you think that's something that companies should stand by or do you think that the transition that you've made suggests that it's probably easier to move sectors? That's a really interesting question. I've seen people within Proxmi who have come from neither a tech nor a health background. And I think that is a steep learning curve. Mm. I haven't found it as hard because fundamentally the market in which I'm operating in, I know like the back of my hand. Mm. And so I needed to understand the product and I needed to understand, you know, more of the technical aspects of that product. But ultimately, who I'm talking to is the voice of the customer, is the heart of that customer. You know, if you strip marketing back and go, that's what it's for. I know my customer. I know who they are and I know the world in which they operate in. Mm. And so I don't think the tech side of things is as hard as people would envisage. I think it's very different. You know, you go B2B, B2C. That's really hard. Mm. But I've done enough B2B for this really not to be different. But I think the world is moving into understanding as well that this B2B and B2C is blurring. You know, surgeons are B2B, but they're C. (laughs) Mm. we talk about targeting people with their surgical white coat on and white coat off it's just different messages and different spaces that you need to speak to people in and so i think those lines are blurring personally Mm. for me and i do this when i look at recruiting and if i think about myself you know attitude tenacity willing to try new things caring about what you do is far going to outweigh any experience you may have had in the sector, mm. is my personal opinion. Well, you touched on it there then. I mean, if you were hiring right now for somebody to come in and perhaps do some you know, marketing for you to build the brand and sort of drive some demand then, what are some of the qualities? You touched on a few then, but what are some of the qualities that you tend to look for? Yeah, I mean, number one is that they get what we're doing and want to mm. be part of it. It amazes me how many people I interview that I think have never even looked on our social media channels and you just think Mm. you know immediately I'm turned off it's like well if you can't be bothered to even find out what we do then you're not going to care about it Mm. and say this is going to be quite difficult but like I say tenacity that sort of ambition and drive is always for me number one like do they fit with the values are they going to get on with the team now it depends you know absolutely thinking about demand generation is key for us as a b2b organization Mm. and so having someone you know if you've got no experience in understanding a b2b demand gen then that's going to be a bit difficult Mm. if you've got no experience in ppc seo social email marketing and can't find your way around the marketing stack then we're going to have problems Mm. (laughs) but i would be happy to help train somebody in that if they cared for what we were doing Mm. yeah i always like to think of marketers as problem solvers in a way you've got to be able to think on your feet you've got to be able to adapt you know all those little bits and bobs in between make a really good marketeer that curiosity that you talked about as well the tenacity rather than thinking hey i've marketed this product therefore i can go and market another product there's so many more nuances to what makes a really good b2b marketer yeah well this has been a fantastic chat victoria on two counts really obviously it's an exciting journey that proximity have been on and you've been a part of that so it's really interesting to hear that story but also 
your personal story of kind of moving sectors. It's something that you don't see as often these days. Maybe that might sort of change in the future. So it goes to show that it can be done. So yeah, it's been fantastic hearing your story. Thanks, Matt. It's been great to be here. Pleasure. Thank you. So that's it for another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a review as that helps the channel going forward. Until next time.